Morning everyone, hope you're well. My name's Sai, one of the leaders here. I'm so pleased that in two weeks' time we'll be able to do this as well as online. We'll be able to do, uh, have a service in the building. I'm looking forward to us gathering again in, in a physical way, which is uh, fantastic. I want to say a personal well done to Rob Sutton, not just for his love for Jesus and the excellent way he serves us in uh, leading uh, worship, but for completing the Catalyst Leadership Theology training. It's been a tough two years, particularly this last year uh, for him. So well done, Rob. And we look forward to uh, the fruit of that manifesting in your songwriting and in your life generally uh, as well. And can I encourage all of us that we should be giving ourselves to studying God's Word. You know, God's Word, the Bible tells us, is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. God wants us to know His Word. He wants us to use it to take every thought captive and make it obedient to, to Christ. He wants us to use it so that we can understand God's ways and the, what he has for us. He wants us to use it to, to bat off the, any attacks of the devil. He wants us to know it so that we can see when false ideologies uh, contradict what God wants us to, to do. The Bible is our final authority. It's our rule for life. It's our map in life, if you like. It's our manifesto. Read it, know it, study it, love it, live it, and apply it to your life. And if you do that, you'll be like that tree, as it tells us in Psalm 1, that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that you do, you'll prosper. Psalm 1 verse 3 tells us. And this is very relevant for us today as we continue in our series of a heart after God. You want to know what God's heart is for you? You want to know what his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life is? Then you need to know his word. You need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which the Holy Spirit does primarily through taking God's Word, helping us to understand it and transforming us through it as well. So continuing our series then, now after the mess that we looked at last week that Chris ran, uh, that ran through for us, the feuds in, in David's family culminating in his own son trying to kill him, you would have thought that David had learned his lesson not to deviate from God's Word. However, he doesn't. A little bit later, we find that he decides that he's going to take a census of the people of Israel, which is something that God had forbidden the kings of Israel to, to do. And even though his faithful, albeit headstrong commander Joab, was saying, no, David, don't do this, the will of the king prevailed and a census was taken. Thankfully, David, after it's done, recognises his, his error and he, his own heart convicts him of his sin. And so he goes to God in repentance and God does forgive him. However, there is consequences to his actions. 
and, uh, and a plague hits the land. However, God, in his grace, through even this mistake, reveals where the temple is to be built by Solomon. Chris Large, next week, is going to be concluding this series, and no doubt he'll refer a bit to, to that as well. But you see, just before these events in David's life, the Holy Spirit, as he was causing the Bible to be written, wanted us to realize that underneath David, God had raised up a group of mighty warriors who were there to help establish David's throne. And it would be fair to say that David would have played a part in their development and the training of them, but they were there and they helped establish the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to hand over to Anna, who's going to read to us from 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10, and then she's going to jump into 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 38. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the, of the Lord concerning Israel. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Jeshab, Beshab, a Taklimite who was a chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliza, the son of Dodo, son of Ahimah. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was so weary that it clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammai, the son of Agai, the Harite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And, the, and three of the thirty chief men went down and came about, and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Abdullam, when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Should I drink the blood of the men who would... At the risk of who went at the risk of their lives, therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was the chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benani, the son of Jehoiada, was a, viol a valiant man of. Kabzal, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two giants of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but the Benaniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah the son of Jehoiada and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. 
and David set him over his bodyguard. Ashel, the brother of Joab, was also one of the thirty. Then there's lots of unreadable names, and it finishes with Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. Today, I'm going to look at how it takes grace, faith, and discipleship to become a mighty warrior for Jesus. So firstly, grace. It's shocking, isn't it? As Anna read that list, it finishes with Uriah the Hittite, the man that David had slept with his wife and then had him killed, was one of David's mighty men. He was a hero in the army. This was no small thing. David killed or had killed a brother in arms. And then as Chris highlighted to us last week, as part of a consequence of this, one of his own sons, like his father, slept with another woman who he shouldn't have, not someone else's wife this time, but his own sister. And then one of David's other sons took the law into his own hands, like his father had done, and had that brother killed. What a mess. But what a gracious, forgiving God we serve, who is able to bring good things out of terrible situations. You see, David was far from perfect, and the Bible doesn't try to present that to us. But he was a man of great faith, and he submitted his life to God. And when he got things wrong, which he regularly did, and the Bible points that out, he threw himself on the grace of God when he messed up. You see, and in truth, we all need to do this. And this is where we start, by throwing ourselves on the grace of God. You see, because whilst God does require perfection, he knows that none of us by ourselves can do it, which is why we all need Jesus. This is where it starts. Jesus is God's chosen king who lived a perfect life and never sinned. And yet also, Jesus is God's chosen saviour for humanity who went to the cross to take on himself the sins of the world. So that when you put your faith in him, when you surrender your life to King Jesus, a divine exchange happens where he takes on himself your sin and he gives you his righteousness before God. And yes, like King David, you will still make mistakes. Hopefully not as big as King David's uh, mistakes. But the Bible tells us that we can confess our sins. And he is faithful to forgive us, as, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus also gives us, when we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit who changes us from the inside out. He changes our heart, causing us to want to live to God. And he helps us to put to death the sinful nature within us and live for God. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, let me start by encouraging you to do that because he has the best for you. And if you're in that place and you've been listening for a while and you think, yes, actually I do want to give my life to Jesus, then just pray this prayer in your heart before God. It's a prayer of surrender to him. Just pray something along the lines of, Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved 
me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong that offend you. And through your Holy Spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please contact the office. We'd love to uh, speak to you and find out a bit more of how we can uh, help you and, and, and encourage you and how Jesus can help you in your walk with him. But you see, just to be clear, we start the Christian journey by looking to Jesus. And you continue the Christian journey by fixing your eyes on Jesus. There's not a day that goes by when you don't need his help or his forgiveness. So you see, this is not about you in your own strength trying to be a mighty man or woman for, for God. It's about you surrendering to him and drawing strength from his Holy Spirit, taking the faith steps that he prompts you to take. You see, no matter how hard you try and flap your arms by yourself, you're never going to be able to fly by doing, by doing that. Now, you've got to be, to be the Olympic speed champion of flapping your arms. You're still not going to take off. You need the help of an aeroplane to, to do that. Likewise, you need the Holy Spirit's help to enable you to live for God. So draw strength from and rest in and throw yourself upon the grace of God. For it's not down to your ability, but God's goodness. Secondly, we're called to take steps of faith for Jesus. You see, you look at that, these mighty men. They knew that God wanted David to be king. And through David, he wanted to establish the kingdom of Israel. So they were willing to give their lives to that. And so subsequently, they risked their lives on numerous occasions against impossible odds, it would appear, at some times. Yet God protected them and established great victories through them. In Christ Jesus... We as Christians are called to establish the eternal kingdom of God across the whole world. How much more should we be willing to give our lives to this? Now let me just be clear on something. Sometimes what you see in the Old Testament physically happening has a spiritual reality in the New Testament. So I'm not talking about us physically fighting battles or taking swords and guns and establishing a physical kingdom. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. Now the New Testament is very clear. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So it's not weapons made by hands like this that we're talking about. It's spreading the truth of God's word to all around us. Jesus says this, for whoever lives by the sword will perish by the sword. 
He also makes it clear just before he's crucified. I'm really underlining this fact. He says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. So being a mighty warrior for Jesus is not about physically fighting in battles or forcing people to do things. It's not about that. It involves men and women declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus no matter what happens to them in, for them doing this. It involves us demonstrating the love of God to those we come across. It means forgiving that really annoying work colleague or harder still, that family member or even spouse when they have done things that hurt you and upset you. It means choosing not to talk badly about someone, even when you have the most juicy bit of gossip that's just so tasty and you just want to tell somebody. It means actually, no, I'm not going to do that. It means trusting God with your finances, with your health, choosing to live for and rejoice in the circumstances that God has for your life at this time. To be a mighty warrior for Jesus, your life, your energy, your time, your finances will be given over to the establishing of God's eternal kingdom. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denying yourself, taking up your cross. The cross was a symbol of death. It means dying to yourself and living for Jesus, following him wherever he takes you or whatever he calls you to do, even when it's into a situation that you naturally wouldn't want to be in. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You know, a sacrifice is dead. So a living sacrifice is an oxymoron. and It's two words that contradict each other. It's like the living dead. They shouldn't be together. In Christ... We have died to ourselves as Christians. And, there, and now we're called to live for Jesus, to follow him. So if, in fact, it shouldn't be a problem to you when your king says to you, when your Lord says to you, speak to that person about me today. Or if he says, share that prophetic word with that person over there. Or if he says, you know, serve the church in this area. I know no one seems to notice, but I want you to serve in this area. Or, harder still sometimes, forgive this person as I have forgiven you. You know, your response could be, what? What, Lord? I, I can't do that. How can I do that? Oh, yeah, I've died to myself. I'm taking up my cross. I'm a living sacrifice for you. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do what you say. You know, some things that God asks you to do 
will be difficult. Sometimes they'll actually be quite scary as well. It'll take you, God will take you out of your comfort zone. But when you look at David's mighty men, do you know they risked their lives for David's kingdom? I tell you, they would have been scared at points. However, they didn't let fear control them or rule over them. And nor should we. 2 Timothy 1 Verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So let's draw upon that power, love and self-control that the grace of God affords us and take great steps of faith for Jesus. Finally, these warriors of David weren't just naturally good fighters. They were disciplined, well-trained, battle-hardened men in control of themselves. So the story of Uriah showed that, that Uriah was in complete control of himself, when David, in fact, wasn't. They were David's disciples, if you liked, who followed his example in the early years, at least, because his example as he went on was possibly not so worthy of following. But my friends, God wants us to be disciples of Christ. Jesus didn't say, go and make mass converts. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus himself didn't concentrate on the crowd so much. He concentrated on his disciples. And in three years, he made people that changed the world forever. You know, we're called to be disciples of Jesus. And we should be looking to make disciples of Jesus. Allow God to invest in you through other people and then pass it on. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says this, What you have heard from me, entrust to others, so that they too can entrust to other people also. There is a passing on of what we have received in Christ to others, so that they in turn can pass it on to others. Now, at this point, I thought it would be good just to hear from a few of our folk as to who in their life has been a key influencer in the life of in their life uh, for, for Jesus. So one of the um, people that influenced me most was um, when I was a young Christian, and she was my life group leader. And whenever um, we kind of met up, she was we always kind of prayed about things. And I guess she influenced me more in like in terms of the prophetic, and that whenever she prayed, there were evidence of spiritual gifts, and it kind of exposed me really to that side of that side of Christianity, and so that was a really big influence. Hello, I like to speak about uh, my senior pastor, how, he, how his influence was uh, really good and important to me. First when I came in this church in Switzerland, I, I was astonished how he was very keen to learn and te to teach us about uh, uh, seeing the good things in others and in other churches who are different to us and not to judge really not and, and he was really it was really important to him and for me it was at this time very important that I, I, I changed something in my life and then he was also speaking often about intimacy to Jesus and I I must say I, I couldn't really get it what it means but I saw it from his son later what it means and this was a very important thing in my life in this still and I was influenced through his 
uh, role model how he was able to speak with anybody at any occasions in a, in a shop in a restaurant wherever he spoke about Jesus this pastor was really great in this a key person for me who has influenced me in God is my friend and dear sister in Christ Michelle from my last church um, she has a deep recognition of God's faithfulness and his perfect timing in uh, everything and her trust in him through the ups and downs and chaos of life has helped me to have a stronger reliance on his working everything out for the good of those who love him. I've been asked to um, say something brief about somebody who who's influenced me in my Christian life and how and that was being my first pastor, he was um, such a very godly man. He just lived his faith out. Um, he was kind, he was gentle, humble, hospitable. He, he was a good listener. He just lived his faith. And as a young Christian, um, I did Yes, that did have an impact on me. I don't think I realised at the time what an impact it had on me. It's, I think it's only looking back that I now realise what an impact on me, he had on me. Um, I was a young Christian. I hadn't been a Christian more than much more than 18 months. And I was in my late teens, so quite a young person as well. But he was just such a godly man. Um, he just... His faith just came out so much. God was first with him. Jesus was first um, in every part of his life, whether it was church or home, family, um, whatever it was, God was first. One of the people who's influenced me over the years is Ray Bodkin. He's been following Jesus for a few more decades than I have, and he always talks of God's faithfulness. When things don't go to plan, God's faithfulness is one thing we can always fall back on. We should be disciples and we should make disciples. Do you know, as a church, we have a discipleship pack which we sent out to life group leaders just before lockdown began, actually. And my friends, now is a time to being discipled and now is a time to be making disciples. So do speak to your life group leader uh, about, about this if you want to go deeper in your walk with God. You see, as long as we are this side of eternity, we should be giving ourselves to growing in Christ, to becoming more of his disciples, remembering and taking comfort from the fact that the, fact that the Holy Spirit is, is the chief discipler of people. Uh, Randy Reese and Robert Lone, in, in their book, Deep Mentoring, tell us this, that we should trust the already present action of God. We can develop a measure of confidence in the work of guiding the, the discipling of others when we recognize that the primary work belongs to the Spirit of God. Our role is secondary. In the Christian life, you see, you don't automatically mature in God as the years go by. You mature in Christ as you surrender your life to him and as you live for him more and more. The more you become like Jesus, the more mature 
you become. This side of eternity, one of the chief ways the Holy Spirit wants to do this is through bringing other mature believers alongside you and helping you grow in your faith as they speak into your life. Now, even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle himself, needed his Barnabas to begin with, and so do you. As you disciple others, God will also use them to speak into your life and to impact your life. So, my friends, in in conclusion, like David's mighty men, we are called to be mighty warriors for Jesus, who have been discipled in how effectively to live for Christ, that we take great steps of faith for Christ, and that we rely totally on the grace of God for our success and also to catch us when we fail, which we all will. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Lord God, thank you that it's not down to our ability, but your goodness, your grace. And Lord, I just pray that you would just fill everyone watching, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would just meet with them where they are, Lord God, and you would cause faith to rise in their heart, Lord God, to, to want to live for you, to want to take steps of faith for you, Lord God, that you would just give them that strength, Lord God, to decide, yes, actually, I am going to put to death these areas in my life that I know displease God, and I'm going to live for Jesus all the more. Lord God, we, we look to you, Lord God. We know we can't do it in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, I just pray, be upon each person, Lord God, watching this, Lord God, minister into their hearts and bless them, Lord, I pray, Lord, and help us, Lord God, to be mighty warriors for Jesus, because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed and looking forward to seeing you soon.